Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture with me, Robert Bounds. On today's show, we're going to be talking quietly, holding our heads and sharing out the Alka-Seltzer as we've all just come in from a hard night out in the golden age of cabaret and nightclubs. Taking in the Chanois and the Folie Bergère in Paris, the Cabaret Voltaire in Zurich, Rome's Cabaret del Diavolo and the Café de Nadi in Mexico City. By the time we got to New York, we were wobbly and when Lagos and Tehran came round, the night had become very much a blur. Fortunately, for the purposes of radio anyway, these are just the nightclubs of yore about which the Barbican's new exhibition called Into the Night focuses as it celebrates an alternate history of the arts and the social and artistic role of going out from the 1880s to the 1960s. You thought that going out was just about dancing and catching someone's eye? Well, in certain places at certain times, it's also been about specific venues offering a platform at which ideas could be exchanged before anything more bodily. Many artists set up or were vitally involved with the design, decoration, atmosphere and manifesti of certain social spaces designed not just to be fun and freeing, but to promote a way of living, thinking, being. A night where the gathering was an idea of a perfect society. The Barbican show features sets, furniture, posters, props, costumes and recreations of whole rooms and dance floors to tell the story of venues that were driven by ideas. And joining me to discuss the exhibition at the Barbican are the writer and curator Francesca Gavin and art editor of Time Out, Eddie Frankel. Welcome both to the programme. Hello. Hi. Quite a lot of blurb there wasn't there at the oh. top of the program well, you, you, know. re- you really went for it i went for it like a like i was sort of commentating on a on a, on a horse race yeah you've shot your load i think too <laughs> early there. Whoa. quite a lot to explain we'll just put it that way yeah exactly Politely. i've been put out to stud early <laughs> um okay both of you fran i'll come to you first cool. can you study a club in a gallery space well i mean obviously this is something that i think in the past Five years, people have been focusing on doing a lot, most notably in the summer at Sweet Harmony at Saatchi Gallery. Mm-hmm. There was also a massive touring show that's gone from the Design Museum just outside of Basel and then to Brussels with an amazing book, pretty much focusing on like Italo disco and like the architectural nature of clubs. There was also a specifically amazing club, which I, um, club exhibition that I love that came out of erotics and architecture, which included like, let's say, the building of the Hacienda and sort of 1980s clubs within a sort of sex environment for Macba in Barcelona. So the answer is yes. There's definitely an audience who are really interested, I think, in the ephemeral, in the photographic, in documentation, in the way these things were built, in flyers. There's a huge audience interested in the graphic design connected to club culture. So there's definitely an audience. What was interesting for me about this show is that it tried to contextualise that throughout the 20th century, not just in what everyone thinks of, which is the obviousness of the 80s and 90s. Yeah, that's the interesting thing, that we kind of, as I said in the introduction, we we go from the 1880s to the 1960s. We cut off before we get to some of the things we're going to talk about later in the programme, like, yeah, the 80s and rave culture and all the rest of it. Eddie, how does the Barbican, how are the curators there, how have they put on this show? What do we see when we walk around it? Uh, so it's organised. Each room is a different city and a different and a different club. Yeah. Uh, so you go through all those weird little Barbican rooms where you have to, you get forced to go upstairs to start, which is always incredibly confusing. Bloody stairs! Bloody stairs! I don't want to start. <laughs> don't they upstairs. know who you are, Eddie? Yeah, exactly. Imagine. I'm a big deal. <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> like have, a Dalek. You have to pay me to walk upstairs. Okay. Uh, and so it's in all these little tiny rooms, and each room is a sort of. Uh, a look at a very at one of the clubs, and yeah. so you've got the flyers, you've got the manifesti 
first time I'd heard it called a manifesti in your introduction. That mm. was good. That's plural. right. I know, plural. No, I okay. loved it. Yeah. Well done. Bit of Latin. Yeah, fancy, <laughs> showing off. Uh, you've got the flyers. You've got a little bit of art made they got in the, from, in the clubs. You've got the architectural designs. You've got uh, photographs of people dancing. That's the main thing. Then downstairs, they've recreated some of the clubs. So they've recreated the, what was it, the, what's the, the cabaret? Cabaret Voltaire Ca- and Fledermaus. Fledermaus, that's yeah. right, with all the beautiful with all tiles, the tiles. Incredible yeah. tiles. Uh, they've recreated that. They recreated an Mbari club from Nigeria. Uh, and so that's the main thing. So you go, you look at all the ephemera, yeah. and then you walk through uh, empty clubs. As if that's a good thing. <laughs> Pick it, to get your coat the next day and it's all sticky and you're really depressed. Well, that's what they should do. They should like pump should some cigarette it. smoke in yeah. there and some depression. I can yeah. recommend some artists that have done work of just about that. Yeah, just about that, exactly. Um, so well, we should say also, actually, that the Barbican are putting on nights in these rooms, aren't mm. they? So, so you can go and have a night out at the Flader Mouse. And well, that's Hope people also- dress appropriately for that. Mm. don't know what appropriately is. But, you know, in 1930s garb. I mean, actually, for me, the most interesting work in the show is actually often the stuff that you didn't know. So Tehran and the Mbari clubs in Nigeria, which, to be honest, hasn't been really documented, certainly not included in this really rather obvious sort of cabaret narrative. For me, that stuff was truly exciting, like seeing the relationship between painters, what kind of work they're making that is very period related in very different cases and how it's coming out of, let's say, these hub meeting points where people are actually hanging out, creating spaces and how going out can be an inspirational space for communication, which is something that's sort of been dying in the past few decades, definitely within this current century, partly because that that kind of access to space doesn't exist, the sort of freedom and illegality and like crossing those borders. And the idea of going out full stop has kind of been marginalized, certainly with the gentrification of a lot of Western cities. So for me, that was really exciting. Looking at 1960s work from clubs in Tehran or a decolonialized Nigeria, and then seeing that, that there even are like a club culture there at all I found that really refreshing and a nice change from the obviousness of just having let's say Wolfgang Tillman's photograph even though I love Wolfgang Tillman's photographs Um, one of the things that was great was when we got to the 1930s in Harlem in New York and seeing the the kind of one of the great things was the map of clubs of Harlem which basically kind of you could knock off after work well, you go and have quite a big, long supper, it seemed, finished at about 11, and then kind of go on till 11 in the morning. It gave you kind of the password for certain different places. It gave you kind of, you know, who to, who to tap, tap up for a marijuana cigarette. I'm not, that's not what I think they're called. <laughs> it's what the map called them in the 1930s. Rob Square, isn't he? Jazz. He asked me for a marijuana cigarette. Yeah, he's a real gas, daddy-o. Um, and so these there are these really there are the kind of specific artworks or parts of the architect interior architecture and design of the clubs, and then there is the kind of I guess the colloquial flyery side of it, such as things like this this kind of map, which are really which are really beguiling beguiling, and the show really sort of zeroes in and focuses on sort of very small things. Lots of the cabinets and vitrines that the that the artifacts are in, you have to kind of get up quite close to and study. There's quite a lot. To see, and this is deep, considering the subject matter is about going out. We might think that is, we might on the surface think that that is a kind of ravey fun thing, but this is a, this is a show that is a slow show, and it's about consideration. Right? Well, I actually also think what really comes through in the show is the relationship between avant-garde thinking and politics within something that you wouldn't necessarily see from that. The idea that culture, beyond the obviousness of just visual art, but actually the breadth of culture, which could be including mm. design 
and dancing and random performances and uh, Morris dancing in the British in the <laughs> golden Morris calf. dancing in the golden calf but the idea that you could have like this kind of breadth of cultural output coming in a social space actually having political and social purpose for yeah. me came through in this show I think they actually implicate and also how that very much is intertwined with art yeah. So a lot of the clubs were designed by artists. We definitely see like the relationship between futurism and vorticism and sort of pick Mexico City, 1920s political artworks and their kind of graphic heritage. That kind of relationship between the political and the social really came through, but in a very playful way. And I find that very engaging. Um, so this is we're, we're, we're in a universe here in this in this exhibition where clubs stand for things they mean things it, as i said in the introduction it's not just a place to catch someone's eye and go out and, and and let loose these clubs supposedly mean something there are manifesti i'll use it again <laughs> if anyone's playing the manifesti drinking game at home <laughs> hope, you're, hope you're doing shots time to sit that tea oh yeah um what Ed, what do clubs what, what what are some of the things that these clubs stood for eddie well, it seems like the most important thing was that these were places where artists could get together and be mm. themselves and do what they wanted and that's the most important thing. They're places to be free. They're places to express your ideas that you can't necessarily express out in the real world. And they're places to to move with freedom, to talk with freedom and to think with freedom. And I think that's really interesting. So I think if you're looking for an exhibition that's got flyers in it, that's got drawings of what the of the of how the architecture was going to, to look, the designs are going to look, if you're looking for photos, then it's quite interesting. But if you're looking for what the art actually meant that came out of those clubs, I think it's a bit of a failure. Okay. Because so it's interesting talking about these clubs as places where where ideas happened. But this isn't an exhibition about ideas. It's an exhibition about where ideas happened. And that, to me, is just so much less interesting. I would love to... The problem is that most artists didn't make art about clubbing or, or about cabaret nights back in, in the day, except for Toulouse-Lautrec. And, you know, there's a bit yeah. of Toulouse-Lautrec in there, and that looks really nice. It's really beautiful. Yeah, we tick off the Folie Berger in a yeah. room, which is actually a lovely room. Some of the some of the art, artwork, I guess, we know. Mm-hmm. That video of the dancer Incredible. with amazing dress, mm-hmm. Louis... Okay, mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, I'll have to find her find her uh, name, is incredible beguiling kind of stuff, isn't it? You can see where Björk gets her ideas from and all the rest of it. Yeah, beautiful. And so you really see the links between the what was happening in the clubs mm. and the art that was being made at, in somewhere like the Folie Berger or the Chat Noir. Mm. Uh, but I think with the rest of the places, you're sort of left with you know drawings for how the, the rear wall was going to look in Lobet. And I, 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 there's no bit of me that finds that interesting in a gallery context. As a book about what these spaces are like, fascinating, walking around, especially the recreation of the of the clubs I'm like you've essentially recreated a club that once had life and ideas in it and deadened it it's yeah. it's like a morgue for like you know that's horrible I don't I don't want to walk around a closed club there's nothing more depressing than a closed club especially a club that closed a hundred years ago that's not fun for me uh, and I think the I actually think one of the failures is that they stopped at 1960 and if they'd moved forward they would have found artists who did make art about clubbing and I think the idea of these spaces is, you know, the Cabri um, Voltaire was, you know, the only place you could have those sorts of ideas and do that sort of thing in that town. That's great. But I don't think the reason I think that sort of died out now is because we're not restricted to just one place where you can go be yourself. We do mm. have tons and tons of clubs and tons of, of gig venues. I mean, sure, they're closing and stuff. But in London, Paris, Berlin, you want to go see a death metal night? You can. And you, yeah. and you don't have to go with your art friends. You can go and mosh 
you know, at the underworld if you want to, and then you can go to whatever underground club you want to after that. Those are things that we can do. We're not restricted to one club. So I think if they'd look towards artists like now who make work now, like Prem Sahib or Eddie Peake, who also have their own club night, Anal House Meltdown, it's a pleasure to say. Uh, they, uh, you know, you would have found art that talks about clubbing as something that's relatable and that uh, where people can, ex- when, where everyone can express themselves. It's not this elite place for for smarty left wing artists. Yeah, you know, places. I don't know. Okay. If, I don't. I think that kind of contemporary. I mean, I've done exhibitions about our relationship to cult culture, in particular the influence of rave on that younger generation, because mm-hmm. it's huge. And I love all those artists, but I would also argue that haven't we seen those images a hundred times? I mean, if this had just been Cabaret Voltaire and Folly Berger, I would have been bored to death because it's like we've all seen it a hundred times. And even like Harlem Renaissance in Weimar Germany, I was like, okay, this is what you're expecting. Nonetheless, they did have a lot of the the imagery around that that was interesting. I find it quite concise in what it was doing. For me, but maybe that's because I'm looking so much at more of the contemporary work, which is about club culture, Mm -hmm. that for me, looking at something historicized that isn't obvious was refreshing. Because I, I, I want to see weird Nigerian 1960s clubs because I've never seen no. that before. So I, I wanna, I'm, I'm interested vaguely in the architecture of them, but I'm more interested in, in the art that came out of them. I would much rather know about what the artists made outside of the clubs. And also, you know, one of the big problems for me is that a lot of what happened in the clubs that was art was performance art, which they can't recreate and they, mo- they mostly aren't documented. So you're sort of left with someone on a wall telling you they used to do really cool things in here. And you go, gosh, really? <laughs> Yeah. I wish I could see that, but instead you're left, you know, with uh, you know, left to think about it for yourself. And I, I just, again, I think it's one of those exhibitions that would make a brilliant book, and it does make it does a brilliant make a book. It's a lovely book. book. Yeah, it's, it's very buy big. the book, everyone. Yeah, it yeah. smells great. Um, but I've got it open here. Yeah, page fifty-seven. I've got a massive big bifter of, of uh, page fifty-seven. It's gorgeous <laughs> on the nostril. <laughs> Jazz cigarettes. Uh, exactly. Got it in his marijuana cigarettes. Um, so we okay. So we, you you two disagree on on how they on, on the effectiveness, I suppose, of the exhibition, the exhibition design. Um, but I wanted to ask you about both about how free you thought these places were, these social spaces were. Because one thing that struck me, we were told that they were very free. One thing that kind of struck me is that actually they were they were sort of places where a codified type of behaviour was the norm actually it was kind of like if, you, if you're in this set and if you dress this way and if you're interested in this thing then there was a sort of idea of a standardised sort of gesture and perhaps thought but certainly kind of a codified level of how you behaved in those places I mean, am I kind of naive to think this or it no, seemed I like that right. when I, I think mean, of the, the you know not, not necessarily Weimar which was a bit anything goes but certainly some of the more um, sort of hyper intellectual spaces I, I, I would not have necessarily been comfortable walking in there in case I was wearing the wrong socks I mean this is very I had much, the wrong brain this is art clubs <laughs> you're right yeah. it's very much art clubs but I also think that comes to do with like the way if we're talking about the difficulty around the documentation performance culture mm. the documentation around underground culture in a wider sense is very hard that's that's there wasn't a lot of it intentionally if there was illegal activity so homosexuality for example mm. was illegal for a long period of during this actually for most of the, most of the, the clubs mm. so like the implication of tango tees exactly yeah. is like a hint towards a culture but actually the narratives around it aren't really there what really comes across this is about groups of artists futurists vorticists art deco crowds getting together and going let's put on a night i mean you know there's a lot of that kind of like how can we it's cabaret yeah it's narrative based there's a lot of theater connected to it and i think definitely the, the 
I, I would have loved more documentation of the actual events within it. But if it was just that, so Cabaret Voltaire is the most obvious one that has a lot of documentation of things that happen there. I find that more dull. I actually enjoyed seeing more of the... I like the chairs. <laughs> I was into yeah. the furniture. Because <laughs> you walk around going, I my, my flat could them. look like Lobet. That would be amazing. I've got to be honest, I was looking at that chair from Vienna in 1917 going, you still make that? I want that chair. Oh, yeah, Holly and I said that. We were like, ooh, this would be nice. Hot nice chair. Nice in the house. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I... I, I <laughs> You're just treating it like the ideal how home do show. You, but maybe <laughs> this is a wider question. nice in habitat. <laughs> But maybe this is a wider question on how can you like document underground culture that isn't documented? Yeah. So what are you going to like have a re- recreations? I suppose it's that thing that you have when you're doing documentary films and they have like 17th century costume bits in British documentaries that the French make fun of us for all the time. <laughs> but that idea of like how do you describe history in a way that's living? And I don't know if it's possible. No, I, but yeah, so I, I definitely agree. I think it's a huge challenge. How do you talk about things that haven't been documented? But then... I think the solution to that is to not turn them into an exhibition which shows you how badly we failed at documenting them. Because the thing that's interesting about this is reading about it and knowing knowing the stories. That's why the book's probably a lot better because it's got Mm. whole essays about what the club's like and what the art that was being created there was like. Instead, I'm stood in a fake lobette trying to imagine what it was like partying in Strasbourg and being like, I don't know, I have no idea. (laughs) It feels like a show that's nostalgic for something that none of us can relate to. Okay. I, how important were the movements that came out of out of these clubs? Well, Harlem Renaissance, huge. I know, I'm not doubting them. I'm saying, I'm, I don't know. Imagine I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> how important were the movements? What, what, what are the things that we owe to some of the kind of structured behaviours, some, some of the interiors and some of the art movements that were allowed to flourish in these spaces? I mean, I'd argue Francesca. there's an incredibly close relationship yeah. between cultural output and the clubs that they were focusing on in particular here. The reason why we know about these clubs at all is because of the artists. The reason why we know about like Folly Berger at all is because of Toulouse Lautrec. Yeah. Otherwise it would have just been somewhere that we heard about apparently girls kicking and you could see their knickers. I mean it's not the same thing in the, no. in the same way. So the only reason why any of this has any relevance is because of the quality of artists involved. So if you look at the artist list, it's it's super impressive in terms of that kind of relationship. Everyone from, I mean, and obviously the Harlem Relations stuff in particular had a much wider cultural impact. Yeah. I mean, that was like decades, which is still impacting or in the residence of contemporary artists now. And I think you can see there's some relationship between that. I mean, I don't know. There's no art bar in London. I wish there was. Oh my yeah. God. I yeah. would never go. And I would, God. I'd have it a really good time. It would be so full of wallies. Oh, Colony Rooms <laughs> was great, and that's dead. I, yeah. I, I like a yeah. little bit of art bar. I quite like an art bar. Yeah, you know, and actually, so I, none of these clubs really lasted very long. Most of them like seem to be like two years was the average. So it's sort of, but they're very much, you can really see, the only reason why we know about them is because of the artists, and actually the artists are really much driving forces and the ones that we know about. I'm sure there were tons of better clubs in Weimar, Germany, yeah. that none of us know because Groz wasn't drawing them, or Otto yeah, Dix right. wasn't hanging That's out That's a really there, interesting thing, you know? what was going on down the road, because as Eddie says, I wonder if these were the only places. Mm. It was this one place, there was no choice. It was I'm If sure. you're in the in crowd, you kind of went No, there. this is just artists doing their thing. But yeah. I, I also think that there were elements missing in terms of, let's say, the descriptions of these clubs, which I would have liked more of. Like, for example, the Jewish relationship to Mm. Weimar Germany, in particular Cabaret, Mm. is huge. They were largely Jewish performers. Or going into more depth on the political relationship between culture and, let's say, writing and poetry and performance in Harlem, I I think that was missing. So there's some elements that are missing, but I still loved it. (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, I wouldn't have. I'd have loved to have known 
a bit, I'd love to have had a bit more of a, the evocation of the atmosphere of those places, like what went down. I love, I love some of the documentation of that. Maybe I missed that because it's a very dense exhibition, isn't it? There's a lot of stuff to see, but I'd like to have, have had a bit more. I'd like to have sort of been dropped in there, parachuted into a night at somewhere. It, it felt like I wasn't. However, I enjoyed it a lot. The Barbican exhibition space is really hard. Sure it's is. really difficult. I think the compartmentalization of the rooms upstairs with these kind of autumnal shade painted walls and like devoted to each club made sense. But you're always dealing with the difficulty of that broodless building, mm. which is an incredible architectural space that we all love. But as an exhibition space, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, very low ceilings in that top bit as well. I mean, Eddie's got stairs to contend with. Yeah. Young Eddie Frankel. <laughs> yeah, so, with his elderly yeah. limbs. With his elderly knees. knees. Yeah. Um, okay, before we move on to what that show kind of got you thinking about, which which place would you like to go for a night out out of all the ones featured at the Barbican? You, you, you're fed up with Lubet, aren't you, Eddie? So that's no, I think Lubet is, is the one that they probably would have liked the most, yeah. I reckon. Lubet or one of the Embari clubs, yeah. I reckon, one of those two. I'd kind of go, yeah. What about I'm into you? Rush 29 in Tehran in mm. 1966. There was an artist that came out of that who I'd never seen before who looked like an Iranian version of Tetsumi Kudo. Yeah. Called, what's the name again? It was incredible. Parviz Tanavoli. Wow, I was in love with that work. Um, yeah, no, what the hell were Tehran clubs like in 1960s? My friend of mine... You'd have thought, you'd have, you'd hope they're pretty racy and pretty fun. But I there went, was a big vibe going on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, my Be- parents... Beirut as well, kind of that sort of clearly not Persian, but that thing that people always... I mean, I went with a Persian... Places that are famous for something else, you know, yeah. sad. I went with a Persian friend of mine to the show and she was telling me about crazy wedding videos she has from a little bit before that period from her uncle and they are risque. Yeah. So, yes, it's really fascinating thinking about this the documentation you don't get to see yeah and i think it goes back to what you're saying about what were the other clubs like my parents met got married and had their first child in tehran at that time yeah and uh and all that all i ever hear about is how they had a much better time in their youth than i'm having in mine and uh and like the clubs sound nuts yeah the things that were going down there are very not square yeah and uh and so i'm imagining that this was just one club with with people being really artsy and and liberal and then just down the road there people just getting hammered yeah Yeah. and really going for it just without having to worry about manifesti or stairs (laughs) three times a charm (laughs) thanks eddie um okay so we have kind of we've kind of spat some of some teeth out at the same time as chewing over um the remains of of the barbican show um eddie you are first up to talk about um kind of what it may put you in the mind of tell us what that is so it's the video fiorucci made me hardcore by mark leckie which is currently on show at tape britain Mm mm-hmm Uh, But it's also available on YouTube for free. Uh, I curated an exhibition, uh, not this uh, past summer, but the summer before that, um, which included it. And we asked Mark Leckie if we could put it in the show. And he went, it's on YouTube. You can do whatever you want. Mark's wicked. Yeah. But so it's a really it's it's a really open uh, work of art that's just freely accessible. And and it's about um, it's sort of like a history of a mini history of youth culture through clubbing, through the Northern uh, Soul Club nights up to raving and through football hooligans, football casuals, which is why we had it in a show. We had it in a show about football. Uh, and what that 
the reason I liked that and the reason I thought of it was because it, I think it talks so well about what clubbing means and, and how clubbing matters to people, especially in this particular work, how, what it means to working class people in the north of England and the power and necessity of clubs yeah. uh, in, in that environment. And I think that's really interesting. I mean, no one needs to see Fiorucci Made Me Hardcore you know, 50 times. Like, I've had to watch it because I was sat <laughs> in, that, in that gallery for so long. Uh, but, you know all the moves. Oh, God, I know him so well. Uh, but I think it deals so well with clubbing without resorting to the idea that um, A, clubbing uh, is only special if it's for artists or thinkers, and B, it uh, documents clubbing and makes art out of clubbing rather than uh, looks back at it nostalgically. It's uh, sort of, uh, it's, it's, it, it deals with it quite well, I think, which is why I thought of it, because I, I liked it more than I liked the, yeah. the exhibition. And there's parts of the music mix which kind of like being in a club yeah. or like kind of, you know, being in the space. It's, it's, a really, it's a really effective, it's kind of charming as well. And as I think Mark Leckie set talks about when he talks about that, um, artwork of his that it's kind of it's the one of the last remnants of an analog age mm-hmm. he just I think he describes that which is really interesting seeing all this kind of shot for, you know it's all found footage obviously um, it's grainy it's it's zigzag it's all over the place and it's but it's super charming and doesn't I don't know, and because it's a Mark Leckie piece, maybe some of the listeners will and won't know about his work. It's very sort of non-judgmental and has just has a sort of natural charm. About I it. mean, what makes that film so amazing? Yeah. And it is one of the best films of the 20 years, though I have to say I also really love Dream English Kid, his last mm. film piece that came out, which is also showing as part of that Tate show at Tate Britain. Um, I mean, the thing about Fury Richie Mimi Hardcore, it's, it's not necessarily, as much as it's, let's say, looking at the brilliance of working class British club culture, it's also really haunting. It's mm. quite weird and a bit dark. He often describes it as a ghost film, which I think is really fascinating. It's like a haunting nature to it rather than a nostalgic nature to it. And I think that's a really interesting way of thinking about the heritage of these like moments of intensity that disappear. I mean, Lucky is pure genius and the show at Tate Britain is incredible it's the best thing on in london right now so <laughs> you're not getting any fight from me on Good. that come on you two <laughs> like, that's stop just, agreeing yeah i mean lucky is yeah utter genius yeah he's good the new film piece he's made which is like a multi-screen thing which includes having a big giant motorway bridge put yeah. in there um it's actually there's moments in the film where it's actually going into almost like a sub connecting this kind of brutalist 60s architecture of a motorway bridge with like Stonehenge and this yeah. kind of underground pre-mega, you know, pre-megalithic yeah, just, early Britain stone, like, yeah. and I found that really fascinating. It's like a weird weirdness. There's a yeah. weirdness, and I mean that in its kind of strange, well, it's a sort of British um, paganist way, mysticism of paganism and pre-Christian, but and, I actually and, think and, the and then raving, which is that. kind of like that. Which yeah, is well, I mean, yeah. that's quite yeah. a paganistic experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Francesca, mm. you're going to tell us about the Wild Party. Yeah, which by is a Joseph completely Moncure different March. Which is a poem. Do you want to read us the poem? I can read you a bit of the poem. I mean, it's quite naughty. That's all right. Like, I'll take you, I'll take you a little section of the poem. So this is from a 1994 edition. It was totally lost, and this was Art Spiegelman redid it, and it's incredible. So here's a, a bit of the poem. Book, uh, it's a beautiful book. It's incredible. Yeah. I recommend this so much. Okay, this is about when our two protagonists get it together. So I'm basically reading about sex, which I think is fun. Yeah, there that's we all go. right. I'm, um, I mean, I'll, I'm blushing already, but yeah. it's all right. Well, He's some, a proper bloke. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Um, this is from chapter nine. It's one rhyming poem. Some love is fire, some love is rust, but the fiercest, cleanest love is lust. 
and their lust was tremendous. It had the feel of hammers clanging and stone and steel and torches of the savage roaring kind that rip through iron and strike men blind. I could go on. I really like this poem. Okay, so this is a book that inspired William Burroughs to write. It was originally written over a summer in 1926 by the then first managing editor of The New Yorker, who studied at Amherst under Robert Frost, and his basically dad helped pay for him to be a poet, so that's nice. <laughs> um, it, was all, it was only printed in 750 copies wow. in 1928, and it was so risque that people couldn't get it because it is like... Basically, it's about this couple, this actress, kind of a pre-Jean Harlow wild character who's sitting naked on the bed. It's blatant. And she's having a, she's living with this clown and they decide they have a really violent relationship and they decide to have a crazy wild party. And this is basically cocaine and sex and alcohol and murder. And it's brilliantly fun. It's in, <laughs> you can read it in about an hour. It's... Art Spiegelman's drawings are brilliant for the 94 remake. I really recommend it. But it won't... What it reminded me of the show that we saw was the idea of how you can imp the freedoms within earlier periods of time. You don't think of the 1920s as necessarily being that sort of wild and progressive, mm. unless you're really into watching Boardwalk Empire a few years ago as I was. <laughs> but the idea of like this kind of rethinking the past not as something stayed, but it's actually something probably wilder than we are today. And I found that really fascinating. And you really get that across here. We're talking, I mean, it's group sex, essentially, and people drunk and falling around this house. And it's brilliant. And I really recommend reading it. But for me, hey, Burroughs could say it by heart. And I'm sure Burroughs read it in a better way than I did. <laughs> uh, it sounds like the great Gatsby. Oh, yes, but, but, I, but also... Oh. <laughs> it's not going to stay in the show, don't worry. It has to stay. And it's going to stay because I'll keep repeating it until the end of the thing. Well, it's also really great. It's, it's also not elitist. This is really like a story of kind of working class New York performers and the grimy people who like going out and drinking all night and then having it off and wake up on the floor of a stranger's house with a bottle of whiskey in their hand. And I found that really entertaining. <laughs> Um, wow, what, what a show booming with ideas. Thank you very much. That brings us to the end of today's show. Into the Night is on at the Barbican until the 19th of January. And thanks again to my guests today, Eddie Frankel and Francesca Gavin, and to my producer, of course, Holly Fisher. We'll be back at the same time next week where we'll be talking about Eve Babbitt's and the latest anthology, I Used to Be Charming. But until then, for me, Robert Bounds, thanks for tuning in. <laughs> 